Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Welcome Relentless Church, both in the building and online. Uh, This is our second week of reopening this place and having humans in the building. I think I think I underestimated the power of last week, right? Because I've been on this stage. Uh, I haven't seen a lot of you, but I've seen some of you through the weeks and months of this pandemic. And for many of you that are in the building or were in the building last week, this was your first time uh, getting to worship, right? I've been worshiping with the worship team for most of the, the weeks in this, but it was really powerful right, to return and to not take for granted and to remember how good it is, right, to be in the room together. But in saying that, we don't want any of our, of our at-home online people to feel any kind of way, right? We don't question your integrity, your faith, and, and we only have so many seats right now. So as you decide when you're coming back, hopefully it's not an if, hopefully it's a when, right? Um, we got, we're prepared for you. We're doing all the stuff, right? We're wearing the mask and the seats and there's way lower capacity and there's no coffee and donuts and all that stuff. And, and some of, some people in the room right now, they may think, man, these people are crazy. All this seven months, you haven't been to church. Will you? And some of the people at home are thinking, man, you people are crazy for showing up. Right? And we just embrace the craziness. We're all crazy some sort of way once you get to know each other, right? So we are going to continue to be one church, Some of us are going to be in the room at 930. Some of us are going to be in the room at 11. And then some of us are going to be online and God sees us all and is uniting us all in this time, in this season, and especially in this series that we call Unshakable, which we continued today. We kicked off last week. So today we're going to be handing out some hope, right? I don't know if you're pro-hope, anti-hope, hope neutral, right? But I think we're in need of hope. I, I wish, I'm, if I'm looking at you funny up here, it's because you're looking at me funny. But it's not that you're looking at me funny, it's just that I can only see right here, right? So I have no idea what's going on, but that's okay. That's where we're at. Uh, we're adjusting. I'm going to assume that when I tell jokes, you're smiling, and laughing. That's what I'm going to assume. Now, if you can shake your shoulders like that, that lets me know it's really funny. I'll take any cues that I can. So unshakable hope, right? We, we use that word. We, we name our kids that, right? That, that word is, so we got to, we got to drill down on what we mean when we say hope. If I ask one of my teenagers tonight, did you get everything done? Academically, are you ready for Monday? And they look at me and they say, yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I, I hope so, right? There's no confidence associated with that, I hope so, right? If you ask me today, as a Panthers fan, right, which as a pastor and somebody who follows Jesus, that's kind of goes without saying, as a Panthers fan, are we going to win today against the Kansas City Chiefs, who are, in my opinion, the best team in the league, right? You ever hear people say, well, my mind and my heart. My, my heart, oh, yeah, I'm with whoever was so bold. If you ask me the real answer, I hope so, right? I hope so. Like, I don't, I don't, I'm not betting the farm, right, on this. I'm pulling for them, right? I'm with, but I'm hoping without a ton of maybe confidence. That's, that's why, and we won't mention any names this morning, that's why, that's why we love some certain fan bases of certain teams that you cheer against or I cheer against or we cheer against. What's great is a fan base 
that doesn't tend to win a lot, but is super confident, right? Like they don't, they don't just hope so. They really believe they're going to win every game. It's so irrational, but it's really fun because they, because it's crushing when they don't, because they have this full belief. So wherever you stand on any of that, all those words and all that hope, that's different than the hope you see in scripture. The hope you see in scripture is not a, is your team going to win the game? Well, I, I don't want to say no. It is a, like, I think like, I want them to. Like, I, they got a chance. Hope in scripture is a, is a confident expectation, right? Instead of asking about your team or if you got your work done for one of my kids, here's a better example. If I asked you, are you sure that the sun will come up tomorrow? How confident that gets into some biblical hope, right? Because we, do, we, we, with everything, whatever we believe, it's not just, well, I hope the sun comes up like a 50, 50, like more, man, yeah, probably. No, we have a confident expectation that the sun will come up tomorrow. That's the kind of hope we're going to tap into because hope changes lives, right? No matter how old you are, how many days you got left, how young you are, A life lived with hope, in hope, built on hope, it will change your life. It'll change how you interact with people. It'll change how you grieve. It'll change how you have relationships. It'll change how you spend your time. It'll change how you love people that are different from you. It will change everything about your life if you understand hope. And it leads to the unshakable kingdom thing that we have been talking about or opened up talking about. Last week, I want to go back to that beautiful scripture that Vasti read right in the middle of that song, right? It's this Colossians 1, 15. It's going to lead into where we're going today. And it's just this crazy, beautiful scripture about Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God, right? And, and we need to remember that verse 16 in these times, right? Political times that by Jesus, all things were created, heaven and earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers and authorities, all were created. It's all about Jesus. And then it goes on to to talk at the end of that, for in him all, verse 19, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Reconcile just means bring back, make right, bring peace. That through Jesus, God brought us back to him. How did he do that? By the blood of his cross. Right, it's kind of, if you don't understand, it's kind of violent or kind of weird sounding like what the blood... The gospel, right, that we're always a gospel-centered, forever-focused, multi-ethnic movement. The gospel is, is not what some of you have been raised to think it is. It's not that there's this perfect, holy God who's way up here, right? And he, can, he tells us to be way up here with him. And then when we're not way up here because we're humans, he just shakes his head and wonders why we can't get it together. Right? There's some religions that will go that route, but the gospel says, no, there's a God who created you, who knows you better than you know yourself, who knows what you're thinking, what you're struggling, everything about you, he knows, right? And he knew that you would never be holy in and of yourself, that we have no ability to be perfect or holy like he is, but he was unwilling and unable to chuck his holiness and his perfection. He can't do that because he's God. So what he did is he made a way that the people he loved so much could come to him and be brought back to him. And the way he did that was the shedding and the sending of his perfect son to take our place, to become our sin. 
So we could get in on his holiness, not as a, oh no, humans, what have you done? What am I gonna have to do? But no, I've got a plan to redeem you from the beginning and it's through Jesus and he's gonna come and he's gonna live a perfect, sinless, holy life and he's gonna die a horrible death and he could stop it at any time, but he's gonna choose it to demonstrate the love of God, to bring, to reconcile us back into a right relationship with our God. Yes, he's holy, but he also wants us to call him Father because now we can have a real relationship through the gospel. So that's the setup for where we go today in Unshakable. The next verse, after he said all that beautiful stuff, the, the next verse, 21 says, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. He brought us back in the body of Jesus by Jesus' death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Jesus died so that we could be presented holy and blameless. Why are we really holy and blameless? We are through Jesus. Jesus, holy and blameless, we get in on that. It gets counted into our account. And then there's a comma, right? He's reconciled us. We get to be presented holy, blameless above, right? So that's all Jesus' job. That's all his work, right? He did all the heavy lifting. Now what's our part? Comma, here it comes, verse 23, our verse for the day, Colossians 1, 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. I'm gonna say that again. If you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, who wrote this, became a minister. That's what we're looking for in this unshakable series and long after this stable and steadfast. Jesus did what we could not do, right? It is not a performance, right? It is, it is, that's religion. How do you know what's religion and what's real? Religion is always built on you and your performance. Jesus and Christianity is built on him. He came and reconciled and brought us back to God. We could have never done that on our own. So what do we do? What do we do? We keep going. We continue in the faith. We're stable and we're steadfast no matter what. What's going on around us? We are stable, we are steadfast. What does that look like? It means we don't move from the hope of the gospel. So as a church, we ain't moving, right? I wanna call this series, we ain't moving, but my wife won't let me use ain't in the title of a series. She's real grammatic, grammatically correct like that. But we ain't moving, plus it would be confusing because you'd be thinking we're talking about the location of the building. I'm not talking about, we're not talking about where we meet. We're talking about, we ain't moving from what? The hope of the gospel. No matter what happens out there, and I'm not even talking politically, I'm talking about literally, no matter what happens in this crazy world, we will not move from our flag of hope. It will be on and about and from and of the gospel. The hope, oh, we've got to understand that phrase because if we're not going to shift or move from something, we better know where that something is. It's not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Right? So the gospel is built on Jesus Right? There's two things. We talked about this last week. There's two things that cannot be shaken. One is a someone. One is a something. The someone is Jesus. 
He cannot be shaken. He's unshakable. We're not. You're going to get shook in life. I am. We all are. He's unshakable. The other thing that's unshakable is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God cannot be shaken. So the gospel is built on Jesus. Here's how we define the gospel. It's this life-changing, incredible news of our rescue and adoption by God through Jesus. We say that a lot because it's that important. It's that news. It's not like the news where you see something, breaking news, right? Which they use that so loosely these days, right? Every three minutes, there's breaking news. No, it is the kind of news. Remember, the, remember where you were, right? When you got some news, maybe some good news, just like some huge life-altering news. One of those things where you, you realize as soon as you hear it, man, life will never be the same as it was before I heard what I just heard. Or maybe it was a really bad, you remember where you were when you received some really bad news and you realize, man, we'll never be able to go back to pre-hearing what just happened in my life or my family or job or whatever. That's kind of the, the vibe of that word, this news of the gospel that once you not just hear it, but understand it and receive it, nothing can go back to how it was before. The incredible, it's about you. There's a God of the universe who's all powerful and all knowing and he knows you and he loves you and he proved it by sending Jesus to rescue and adopt you, rescue you for a reason, not just to get you out, right? Not just to get you out of the hot place. It's so much better than that. He rescued you for a reason to be adopted into his family and now be part of his mission, his work, his community, his church going forward. He has come through. He came through. We, we just saying he has no rival. He has no equal. He defeated death. He came through. He is still coming through in our lives and in the church every single day. And he will come through ultimately Again, when we talk about the hope of the gospel, it's talking about what has happened, what is happening, but it's especially attaching into what's going to happen. The hope of the gospel, our rescue and adoption through the cross, resurrection. Yes, it's also about, this word scripture uses a lot, it's all about our inheritance, right? Depending on, you know, what you lived and how old your parents, grandparents, right? Maybe you know a little bit about inheritance. There's an inheritance that God promised for us. It's not money. It's not cash, right? It is an eternity. And the hope of the gospel is if he loves me so much and he loves us so much that he would send Jesus to shed his blood and make peace that way. If he's powerful enough to raise from the dead, if he's still active and living and faithful through us in 2020, if all of that is true, then I can trust him on what he says is coming. And what he says is coming is a moment where you will meet your Jesus face to face. There won't be a church beside you. There won't be your spouse beside you. There won't be. It'll be just you and the one who made you and loved you and died you and bought you and redeemed you and rescued you and adopted you. Not in faith, not where we're standing here with our eyes closed, singing to an invisible God. That's not the moment. That's not your inheritance. There's a moment where you're going to feel and touch and hug this Jesus. And don't get in your mind. We mess our kids up sometimes. We paint this picture of us flying around with these wings, with these fat baby angels everywhere. And we're just singing. We're passing each other in the clouds. And hallelujah, Luis. It ain't going to be like that. We're going to be in a real place with real bodies, with real food, right? And we're going to be in this place and we're going to have life and we're going to work jobs without stress, without death, without cancer, without racism, without any of that. And with the visible, 
You can go up to Jesus and you will be hugged by, can you imagine? It's so hard right now with the lack of physical contact. I've never had a real hug from Jesus. Maybe you have, I'd like to hear about that. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna be in the embrace of my Lord and Savior. And when I'm there with him and we're there together as his community from every tribe and every nation, like it will be, it will not be segregated in any way. It'll be the family, the people of God will be living in a place, the new earth, the new heaven, and it will never, ever, ever end. That's the hope of the gospel. It's not something we came up with at funerals so people wouldn't feel so bad. It is connected. If you believe the cross and you believe the resurrection, then you believe in the hope of the gospel, the inheritance and the forever that we're focused on, that we're closer to today than we've ever, 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 ever been. Man, we got to live like we believe forever is coming that we can sniff it almost. We're right. Smell that. Now, all that, not, what are we going to do? We're unshakable. We're not unshakable. Jesus is. We've got to tap in, connect to him. What does that look like? It looks like we refuse to shift from the hope of the gospel. Remember whack-a-mole? Remember that game, the fair game, whack-a-mole? Right? I got a loud no from over here, so I'm going to educate you on whack-a-mole. Whack-a-mole is this like fair carnival type game, and there's these little moles. There's usually, I think, nine of them, and they come up, and you just smack them. Whack-a-mole, right? And the quicker you are, the better. So one of them comes at a time, sometimes two comes. Actually, I think real whack-a-mole, you got double barrel, right? You're hitting them both at the same time, right? Um, so whack-a-mole, what you're trying to do is you're trying to keep the head. The hard part about whack-a-mole is as soon as you get one sucker down, got him, right? Somebody else pops up, right? And it won't be still, and it's popping up two or three at a time, and, you know, it's a challenging, beautiful game, whack-a-mole. Right? When you're on one mole, you, you got that, right? You're... You're good there, but you can't stay there because as soon as you get that taken care of, something else pops up. Now you got to move off of that to get to somewhere else. You can't cover it all at once. Hence the challenge of the game. Spiritually. Right? Some of us are playing spiritual whack-a-mole. We're trying to be all these different places at once. And, and, and I'm, my hope is in the gospel today because I'm at church, right? But then tomorrow I might not think about any of that. And then Tuesday, who knows what's coming? And I'm just all over the place. And whatever comes up, whatever gets my attention, whatever's stressing me out, whatever, that's what I kind of shift my weight and my hope and my thought and my mind and my money and my energy. And I'm just all over the place. Whatever comes up and needs attention, man, that's what I'm going to focus on. And spiritually, as some of us know and can testify, that's miserable, it's miserable to jump around and depending on circumstances and events and feelings and emotions, just constantly be trying to put out, listen, spiritually, here's what God's calling. You can only stand on one hope. You cannot divide your hope out among, you can't hedge your bets. Like I'm going to put my hope, yes, in Jesus, but just in case, just in case that's not real or what we think it is. I'm going to put a little bit over here and a little bit over here, and I'm going to bet on the worldly stuff because that's kind of fun. I'm going to bet a little bit here. I'm just going to spread all this out. No, 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 no. You don't get to spread it out. You pick one spot. The way we play whack-a-mole is we stand and we get on the hope of the gospel, and it doesn't matter what other thing pops up anywhere else. We're staying right here. 
Now, we're going to deal with that through the gospel, but we're not going to leave where we're standing in order to deal with something else. That's what the enemy wants us to do. He wants us, and it's subtle. Oh, it's deceptive. He wants us just to, you know what? Let me leave the hope of the gospel. I'm not turning my back on Jesus. Let me just scoot over here and take care of something. I'll get right back. And as soon as you move, or you don't even feel yourself moving sometimes, we'll talk about that more next week. But you leave that confident expectation that affects your life. You have to choose to stand on one and put your hope, all of it, in one thing. And let me give you, I could give you a list of 20. I'm going to give you a list of two. I'm going to give you two things that happen when we, when I, put my hope in anything other than the gospel. Right? And it doesn't mean I'm, I'm stopping to believing in God. I'm just talking about I'm putting my weight of my life, I'm putting my focus, I'm, I'm, I'm putting my confidence in something else other than the gospel. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be a good thing, it could be a really sinful thing, it doesn't matter. Anything other than the gospel, one, that thing ultimately disappoints you. Sinful thing, maybe not sinful thing. Right? And we, we, we know this. You don't even have to be a Christian to see this and believe this. We got whole channels and TV shows devoted to documentaries of people that we would say or culture would say, man, they got it made. Then you get in on their lives, you watch one of those documentaries and you see the misery in their life. And, and we could talk about famous rich people all day, but let's talk about us. All right, because if you didn't know, and we, we're, we're welcome to God bringing anybody he wants to bring to Relentless Church. But as far as I know, we don't have a ton of rich, famous people. So for us, have you ever experienced just wanting something so bad? Maybe not a wrong thing. Maybe when you're little, it was a gift. If I could just get this for my birthday, oh man, if I could just get that next, whatever, the phone, the whatever, whatever. Maybe it's like, if I could just get a car, not even any car, just a car, right? And then you get a car and it's like, well, if I could just get a car, it wasn't so embarrassing. Or as you get, you know, maybe, maybe if, I could, if I could ever just get that one more level, if I could ever get that promotion, if I could ever get that kind of relationship, if I could ever get that balance in my bank account, if I could ever achieve that honor athletically or academically or business, if I could ever, if I could ever, if I could ever. And again, those are things that God blesses and use. Those are good things. But if you ever just thought, man, everything would be so good if I could. And then you get it. Maybe God blesses and you get it. And then a few days or weeks or months and you almost feel guilty. I do almost feel guilty for having the thought, but I have the thought. I don't mean to, but somewhere along the line, I have the thought of, man, I thought it would feel better. I thought it would last longer. I'm already... Man, I, all I wanted, all I thought about was getting this thing for Christmas for a year, for the whole year since last Christmas, and now I got it, and I'm, I'm kind of done by New Year's Day. Why is that? It's because nothing, nothing, nothing in this world satisfies our soul. It's, it's okay to want things, right? It's okay to ask for and, and pray for promotions and relationships. Like all that's fine. It's when we put our life on it. It's when we put the weight of our life, when we put our hope and our expectation. And really, if I could have anything, I would want that. When we put things that should only be God and Jesus in that spot, they always disappoint us. That's powerful, 
right? The things the world is taking their life chasing, our message is, hey, even if you get them, you'll still be empty. It's true. The world testifies to that every day. They don't know they are, but they do. Check this beautiful scripture. So much of Romans, the letter to Rome, is just a breakdown of the gospel. So Paul uses four chapters just to beautifully break down what the gospel is. He starts chapter five with this word, therefore, because you, you understood the gospel. Um, therefore, having been justified by faith, we're made right by our faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we celebrate in what? In hope of the glory of God. We celebrate, right? Not just in worship for a few minutes on Sunday, like our lives. We, we're celebrators. When we're mad, when we're sad, when we're happy, it doesn't matter. We celebrate in the hope of the glory, the weight, the goodness, the reality of God. Verse three, but not only that, we also celebrate in our tribulations. We celebrate in the glory of God. We also celebrate when things are messed up. We celebrate in our trials and our challenges, our tribulations. Why? Because it always comes back to hope. Look, knowing that your trial, your tribulation, it brings perseverance. And perseverance changes and builds your character. And proven character comes back to hope. It's always a full circle of hope. We start with hope. We celebrate with hope. Even when things go bad, we, we come back from perseverance to character back to hope. And verse 5, and hope does not disappoint. This hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You talk about something that doesn't ever let you down. If you felt that, and I pray that you have, and if you haven't, that you will, the love of God being poured out. I just pictured God just with this big old bucket, just pouring his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That hope satisfies my soul like nothing else in the world. So when I put my hope, and again, it's not going doing some crazy weekend in Vegas, although we can count that too, right? When my hope shifts from the gospel, it's not just some craziness. It is putting the weight and the foundation of my life on anything but Jesus. When I do that, one, it's going to disappoint my own soul. And then two, there's a we to it. We talked about we last week. When we do that, it divides us. So hope, when we put our hope in something else, it disappoints me, but it divides us. We are hoping. You're going to hear a lot of basketball stories in my messages as we start basketball season. We are hoping to have a season. I am coaching uh, high school varsity girls, my daughter is on that team. We've begun practice, um, and we are, we are a homeschool organization, but we play anybody and everybody that will play us. We're hoping to have a great season. We got a good schedule, some, some of the best private schools and independent uh, schools in the state. But we had to pray, my wife and I had to pray about, you know, we see it as a ministry and, and taking on that commitment, and is it right? And, and we've really felt God led us to that. But in that, there was some negotiations, conversations with the organization. They wanted to know what I was about and how I would do this and philosophy and this or that. And in that conversation, and they're a great group of people, don't hear anything else. But in that, I wanted to know what I was getting into because I want to compete. I want to win, right? I want to play. 
And in that, there was some conversations about, hey, um, I wanted to know, how many girls do I have to take? Like, if we got 30 girls try out, we can't have 30 girls on the team, right? How many, you know, if we have 20, how many do you, you know, what's, what's the rules? How, what's the vibe? And they were good. Like, well, what do you think? I was like, well, I, I don't want a, I don't want a huge number. And, and, and part of the thought back was, well, coach, even if you got a big group, you don't have to play them all. I was like, well, I, it's not about playing them all. I, don't, I, don't, I know I don't have to play them all. I said, well, you don't even have to use them all in practice. Well, it's not about playing them. It's not even about practice. Well, coach, what's it about? I said, here's what it's about. I don't want anybody on the team that isn't about what the team's about. Right? And in homeschool or public school or private school, any kind of team, give me one kid or one adult on your business team. Give me one person that's there because mom or dad made them or there because they got nothing else to do or there because it's going to look good on their college resume. I don't got time for that. Let's cut them. Give me everybody. I don't care if they can play or how good. I need 13. That's what we ended up. I need 13 young ladies that are bought into what we're trying to do. And if we can only find five, then we'll play five. They better be in shape. Right? But we found 13. And the point of that was it doesn't matter if they ever get in the game. It doesn't matter if they just sit there and watch practice. If you're a team, then you can only go as far as everybody's willing to go together. So as your leader and as your pastor, but it's really not just that and, and the title. It's really about all of us together and all of us watching online. And all of us have been there. Please don't hear anything else. All of us have shifted from the hope of the gospel in some way or else. When I do that, it puts a buffer between me and you because now I'm not putting all of my weight, all of my hope on the gospel. I'm putting it on something else. It doesn't mean I'm mad at you. It doesn't mean you should be mad at me. It just means we can't go where God wants us to go together because I bet on something other than the gospel. When we say we're gospel-centered, it's not just fun to say, yes, it's got a little flow to it. Gospel-centered, forever-focused, multi-ethnic. I'm not mad about that flow. I still enjoy it saying it. I've been doing it for six years. But the real thing of that is if we don't center on the gospel, we are so easily divided. I don't know if you've heard that this week. I've heard it several times, people making the statement. And it's true. Our divided country needs a united church. This divided country and culture needs a united church. And I agree with that. And that's true. But we need to admit that the church is not united. A, a divided church cannot unite a divided country. Only a united church can help a divided country. And what unites the church? It is we refuse to move from the hope of the gospel. And as soon as a church or a leader or a pastor or a Christian builds their life on any other kingdom or any other goal or any other hope, it's going to disappoint the person and it's going to divide Christians. That's not who we are. It's not what we're doing. And yes, there are issues, right? We might use the word political. Other people might use say they're not political issues. They're human issues. Those are all important. But our approach to those should flow out of the hope of the gospel. So it's about not moving, not shifting, right? So here's, here's the two things. There's a mental piece of this, and then there's an action piece of this. 
mental and action. There's a decision and there's a do. There's something you decide and then there's something you actually do. I'm going I'm to be real raw this morning and, and tell you a story that's embarrassing, okay? And I do that a lot, but this is another level. So very few of you in this room, I think two, very few of you in this room knew me 20 years ago. Three, sorry. Forgot my mother-in-law. God bless you. Um, and, I, and I love God and love Jesus. I know some hopefully good qualities in me. Other, otherwise, no way this woman uh, would have uh, married me. But I just had a lot of stuff to work through. And, and some of it I got from here. Like, I don't need to go into all that. But occasionally on the wrong day, on the bad day, I could be a real jerk. And let me give you an example. Sometimes... I get frustrated waiting in line as a young 20-something whatever at a fast food joint, right? Because why? Because it says fast food on the sign. It says, like if you put that on your sign, I should not be waiting 12 minutes between my order and getting to the window. I get up to the window and I may say something sarcastic and mean and un-Jesus-like about fast food. <laughs> that's false advertising, right? Just thinking I'm funny or cute or whatever. But that's not the bad thing I'm sharing with you. Sometimes, and I'm not talking about a ton, I'm talking about maybe twice in my life. I was that guy. If you work in fast food, you're going to hate me. Please forgive me with the grace of Jesus. They would say, sir, we're waiting on your fries. I need you to scoot up. I need you to go to the parking lot. I need you to go to the parking space or the curbside. We'll bring your food out in just a few minutes. And I was the guy. Nope. Put my car in park. I paid for my food. I'll wait. No, sir, we really need you to, uh, we need you to go because we've got all these people behind you. It's like, I know what you got. And you know what? I'll be glad to get out of your way. When? When you bring me my food. And I, I'm like, sorry. And I would put it in park and they can't tow me. Right? They, don't, they got nothing to do. And I probably ate some burgers with spit in it. That's on me. Right? I don't know what they did to my food because I was that guy. To the whoever that was back in the day that I treated that way, I'm sorry. That wasn't Jesus in me. But I was so prideful and so immature and so insecure and so stubborn. I just want my food. And I know I don't move. That food comes out a lot quicker. Now take that horrible story and twist it for the good. Right. Some of you, some of you are with me like you you rank high in the stubborn area. Like you can carry something to the end. You can take something and not let it go. You can know for sure you're wrong, but you're going to fight because you'd rather fight and win knowing you're wrong than admit that you're wrong to begin with. That stubbornness, right? Let's flip it on its head and be the church that God called us to be. We're supposed to be. I don't care what you say, culture. I don't care what you say, America or any other country. I don't care what you do to us, what you threaten us. We are not moving. From the hope of the gospel. It's nothing. That's a decision. Right? The first piece is the decision. And I know whether it's in this room or definitely online, somewhere we got somebody in this room or in our church or listening to this. You've never made the decision that starts life, which is to not believe in God, but to trust him and surrender. Right? Paul wrote in this verse, he said, not shifting, be stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard. Some of you have people in your life. Yes, they've heard the name of God and they've even been to church, but they've never actually heard and received the actual gospel. They do not understand it. 
Well, how can you know that, Pastor? Because we live in America, and you can do a survey in Raleigh, North Carolina, or Los Angeles, California, and anywhere in between, and you ask people, hey, what's your best guess of how you get to heaven when you die, if there is a heaven? And the number one answer in every single place is some version of, do the best you can and be a good person. The most offensive answer to the gospel because it implies that your goodness Your goodness is the key factor in God rewarding you with heaven. When the gospel says we can't be good, that's why God had to send Jesus. If our goodness could get us there, then Jesus wasted his blood. So people don't understand. Even if they've heard it, they haven't received it. We are the communication. We, our lives, are the advertisement billboard for the love and the grace of Jesus in The gospel, and it begins, if you're out there and you're listening, you've never really bet your life and surrendered your life on Jesus and the gospel. That's your first step. For those of you that have, it is a decision. And it's an everyday decision to put the car in park, to embrace all that might come, and a lot of it's good, some of it's maybe some hard challenges, just to decide whatever happens in our world, in my life, in my job, in my relationships, in my church, in my country, I will not move. My hope will not shift from anything or to anything from the gospel. And then once you decide, what's the do? It's just a working it out every day. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. I In high school, I played tennis. I don't talk about that a lot, um, but I did, right? I still play tennis like once or twice a year, right? But back in the day, I played tennis, and and when I learned uh, tennis, it's different than, than, you know, bat sports or any other sports because in tennis, it's about going low to high. You get top spin on the ball, so you got to start the racket low, and you got to go high. So in that, trying to, trying to get that top spin, what I would do naturally is I would hit off my back foot, right? Mm, because I think, man, if I get on my back foot, I get that top spin, I'll get that spin, right? But that's not how you hit a tennis ball. Like so many sports, baseball, golf, it's all about the shift and transfer of your weight from your back foot to your front foot. That's where the power comes from. So in tennis, yes, it's low to high, but i got to get it from my back foot, and then boom, oh, I could crush the ball, right? It's from going, it's that hip turn, that shoulder turn, if you know you do it right, when you end up on your front foot, weight shifted from back to front. I knew that. I was so much better when I did that, but it wasn't that I was trying to go against my coach or do it the wrong way. I would get in a match. I would get nervous, and I would revert back to the wrong way. How did I overcome that? Repetition. Right? We're not trying to shift off of something. We're trying to keep our weight. What's our front foot? It's the gospel. And we could say that in here and we can agree to it and we can amen it, which is good. But at the end of the day, once you decide it, you've got to do that every, over and over and over and over again. How do you do that? How do you actually work that out? You, you carve out time. You carve out time in your life to dwell on the hope of the gospel, to dwell on your inheritance, to dwell on forever. We should be speaking out loud about forever. Right, I was out here with some guys before service with our masks on, and it was so natural to start talking about college football. And there's nothing wrong with that. In a church or outside a church, It should be normal for us to go up to each other and have conversations about, man, how sweet is forever going to be. 
We've got to dwell on it. What do you daydream about when you're laying in bed and you can't go to sleep, right? Is it a, is it a sale on the Black Friday? Is it a sports team? Like we should be daydreaming and dwelling and carving out time just to sit in the hope of the gospel. We got to memorize this verse, church. Memorize. That's your homework. Colossians 1, 2, 23. Indeed, continue in the faith. We're going to be stable and steadfast. What does that look like? We don't shift from the hope of the gospel. It's knowing it. It's tasting it. It's living it. But if you're so busy like I am sometimes, I don't even have time to think about that. Guess what? You're a lot more likely to shift. Shifting, we'll talk about that next week. Shifting can look really good. It can, it can look really loving. It can look like it's really like we can get off the gospel and call it all kinds of nice things. It's tricky. How do we fight? We dwell, we daydream, we memorize. We, our tennis, our get is over and over again today, right? We're already a few hours in. Today, the rest of this day, you have an opportunity to say, I'm planting my flag, my hope, my weight. I'm going to be about the hope of the gospel. I'm going to live that out. It's going to affect my conversations. It's going to affect Monday morning. I'm going to start with, God, help me continue today in the faith. Help me be stable and steadfast. Help me be reminded that Jesus, though someone, and the kingdom of God to something cannot be shaken. Help me not dare shift one inch today from the hope of the gospel. And when we live that out, and when you do shift, which you will, you reach out to someone else. We'll talk about that next week, but you just admit I'm shifting. And we help each other reconnect to the Jesus that cannot be shaken. So I'm going to pray for us as a church forever, as long as Relentless Church exists, that we would not shift. But I'm gonna pray specifically for you, that we, the greater we, we would live this week somehow, some way. You could put it on your steering wheel, you send a phone, uh, a message to yourself on your phone, you put it on your mirror, get creative. Somehow, some way that God and the Holy Spirit will remind you in your daily life, hey, today, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm not gonna shift my hope. My weight, I have a confident expectation. It's not like, I hope my team wins. No, I have a confident expectation that Jesus did die for me. He did raise for me. He is coming back for me. I am going to live forever with an inheritance with him. And because of that, it's going to affect everything about the week to come. We're not shifting ever from the hope of the gospel. Would you stand with me? Let me pray you home. Father, we just come today. And we use the word hope, and that's fine in a lot of ways. God, I do, let me throw this in, I do hope that you would be with our Panthers today. But bigger than that, so much bigger than that, God, remind us that, that you put into us, through your spirit, not a hope that Jesus will come through, not, not a hope that you might be who you said, but a confident expectation, a no You've done too much for us to even question. Got a confident expectation in our inheritance and in our forever. God, as a church, as we begin to raise up leaders on another level and do all kinds of things in the coming year, may we put our stakes down in a way where we never shift from the hope of the gospel. And God, for everybody, 
watching this online or in this room. May we live, may we make a decision, but we also do it this week. May we memorize and dwell and daydream and set aside time to rejoice in you and to believe and know that our hope is in you and you alone. We pray and go in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week, church.